Hey there, I'm Jo, and this is Looking Outside, the podcast that explores new perspectives beyond the familiar. I am a CPG innovator, and with this show, I'm seeking a fresh take on business topics with some of the most influential and original thinkers. If you find yourself curiously peeking over the fence at what is happening outside your market, industry, or field of knowledge, then this show will help you to explore more of that. This episode of Looking Outside was recorded in May, prior to recent events in the US. Please take care when listening. Hello, curious people. Thank you for tuning in. Today is going to be really fun and maybe a little macabre. We're talking about true crime. What the heck does true crime have to do with business? We'll find out. Joining me for this chat is fellow true crime fan, Jen Vogel. Hey, Jen. Hey, Joe. Thank you so much for having me today. Oh my gosh. It's such an honor to have you on the show. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Jen hosts her very own, very highly regarded, very popular podcast, Real Talk. And there was a, a very sort of funny question that she asked me on there about favorite serial killers, because <laughs> we're both true crime fans, interested in the topic. And I'm so excited that we have some time to actually talk about this. I know. I never get the chance to talk about this, so it's going to be a, a sensitive one. I'm going to have to be very careful, but I'm really excited. Definitely. So we are going to dive into this topic with care. So warning, we might get into some sticky, distressing, potentially, details. So bear that in mind if you are not a true crime fan, but very fascinatingly, I think we're going to dive into the human psyche and what it all means for those who are curious about true crime. So before we get into all of that fun, sticky stuff, Jen, please tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I'm Jen Vogel. I'm the SVP of marketing for Vox Pop Me. I've been in the insights industry for more than 10 years. And prior to that was on sort of the more B2C side of marketing and, uh, yeah, I I guess in my personal life, I'm a mom of both human and furry children and um, loving that we're getting into some spring weather and can spend some time outside. That's where I get some get some joy. So that's a little about me. Awesome. And so your career has sort of spanned from marketing through to now being in the insights industry or marketing inside of the insights industry. So I think you're naturally leaning into getting curious about human beings and why people do what they do and why they think the way that they think. So do you feel like that's a natural connection into true crime for you and why you're fascinated with it? I mean, I think that hits the nail on the head is understanding why people behave the way that they do or think the way that they do. You know, I think that's what draws me or people like me into true crime and things like that. There's something really mysterious and almost irrational. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> definitely irrational about some of the stories that we hear and the things that we see in the media that, you know, there's always this desire to understand why, even when there isn't a rational explanation. So it's like you you just are wanting to put the pieces together and figure out the motivations behind people's behavior when, you know, which is a lot of what is happening on a day to day in the insights industry, right? <laughs> We're trying to understand people's behavior. But in, in the sense of true crime, there's often not that why. But I think that's exactly what kind of draws me into it. 
Yeah, that's really interesting too, because we know from research that's been done that women are more interested in true crime as a genre. Mm. And a part of the reason the distinction is that men are more interested in the facts of what happened. Women are more interested in the motives and why things happened, which Mm. is, I think, really interesting in itself. But, you know, really getting deeper into the why almost takes you into some uncomfortable areas. There's like a train wreck and watching that unfold kind of feeling, but also then just, you know, more deeply understanding the complexity of the human mind and potentially what you're capable of. Mm. So it's a dark well, and place. I think too, yeah, it is a very dark place. That's really interesting, the stats about the sort of gender interest. And that it makes a lot of sense. I I think that in that digging for why, there's also a sort of empathy piece that goes with it. And I wonder if it follows that same gender role trend mm-hmm. where you're almost searching for like, how am I the same as this person? Oftentimes in these stories, you could relate to a person's upbringing or things that have happened in their life or, you know, challenges that they've faced. And you're trying to find like, please make there be a difference. <laughs> There's got to be a difference between me and these serial killers or whoever. And I think that that plays a role in that what can be an obsession to understand why somebody has done something because oftentimes you can empathize with them to a degree and and relate to their experiences, which is <laughs> a little unsettling. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think that's really interesting that you potentially sometimes really relate to the people, maybe not in their current day actions, but in their past and how they were raised. Like we hear a lot of stories about people who commit crimes. They have a very rough upbringing. And then sometimes I think you reflect on your own upbringing and think, well, maybe my life could have gone down a very different path. Why didn't Mm. it? Is it something inherent or like, is it nature? Is it nurture? It's interesting to sort of think about it from that empathetic lens. Yeah, and a, a bit scary to do that too. This is we are going to be straddling a fine line on this show today, um, you know, sharing our passions and not sounding like serial killers. But um. yes, yes, definitely. I think what's really interesting is I was listening to a podcast from a forensic psychologist, Dr. Paul G. Matuzzi, is his name. He said that murder is a most fundamental taboo. It's also perhaps the most fundamental human impulse. It's kind of like that moment of, you know, when you have a real trauma that you're living through and that the emotions around that are projected onto somebody else. You kind of wonder how far your anger could take you into what places it could take you. How much are you restrained by your morals and your own guiding principles versus how much can you let go of that and become something that you don't want to be? While you're saying that, I'm just thinking there's a book I read recently by it's fiction, Frederick Bachman. He wrote A Man Called Ove, which is very Mm. famous, but a recent book of his called Anxious People. And there's a passage that I just keep kind of thinking about where he talks about like how there's so much gray area in right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And how you kind of start off by saying, well, of course, yeah, no, of course, like killing somebody would be wrong. And of course, like, you know, I would never like steal something or whatever. And as he kind of goes through this journey of of these acts that everybody just knows that you mm-hmm. don't do that, that that's wrong, he starts to poke holes in it 
and kind of pull out those gray areas. Like, well, how many lives do you have to save for it to be okay to kill one person? Or, you know, like what makes it turn from from wrong to right? I'm going to have to like pull out that passage and send it to you because mm-hmm. I think it really actually aligns with this concept of, well, of course, like, yeah, you might say, oh, I'm going to kill you. But obviously, you wouldn't actually kill someone. But who knows what that line is? Like, clearly, (laughs) (laughs) people cross it without realizing it all the time. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, even thinking about the motives that they do have for crossing that line, where sometimes it feels like it's by need. Um, But then there's the other side, which is, you know, the much more calculated, the charming aspect of crime. And I feel like it's really interesting that that's the side of it that we often hear about. And true crime, serial killers, documentaries about all of these things, books about these things are generally focused on that is the true crime glamour. And these crimes that are being committed that are actually much more rare (laughs) versus the day-to-day crimes that we see perpetuated just from a need to survive. For sure. It's very easy to watch a documentary back to back with a a true crime story and they're very similar. The media or any type of content creators out there sort of blend that reality with story and mm. really sensationalize it in, in a way that you almost can't tell the real from the fake. And mm. I think that, that there's probably an element to that that makes it okay for us to kind of allow ourselves to obsess about it because we've just watched whatever Dexter or something right and related to the the protagonist as the (laughs) the serial killer Mm -hmm. and back to back with documentary about a real true situation and it's difficult to separate what's actually happening in real life and actually allow yourself to be horrified by it Mm -hmm. with the story that you know isn't real. I think that's so true. You're using a narrative, a structure, certain words, certain images to convey something for, you know, entertainment's sake. And you, you very quickly can switch into not really realizing what impact you're having or how you're potentially framing one part of the event that took place and can be a a sort of a dangerous territory. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I just finished watching Inventing Anna on Netflix, Mm -hmm. which is not a documentary. It's a, it is a retelling of a, of a true story. But at the beginning of every episode, it says something like everything in this story is true, except for the parts we made up. It's very subtle in the sort of opening credits for each episode. And anyone who watched it would love to just believe every detail of it (laughs) because it's so fascinating and so sensational. But they come out and they tell you, we've made a lot of this stuff up for entertainment purposes. But it's really, it's hard to draw that, you know, separation between the two. I haven't watched anything as fascinating as that, but I did like a a marathon of Breaking Bad and then I've just finished Yellowstone. And Mm. I think what's really interesting about both of those, now that I'm like reflecting on my own behavior, (laughs) maybe psychoanalyzing myself, is that they have really complex characters in them. Like the characters commit crimes. They do, you know, quote unquote, bad things. 
but they're complex characters. Like there is a form of empathy that, or, or even sympathy that you have for them, going back to what you were saying before, because they're in a situational context, like they're trying to protect their family or they're, um, they're trying to you know, create a sustainable future for their family because they know that they're going to pass away from cancer or whatever it might be. It's like a complexity to the to the human being. So maybe that's a part of the good thing of the the narratives and the storytelling that's starting to come through around these types of stories is that it's getting us closer to really understanding that human beings are complex and contradictory and it's not as simple as the bad guy and the good guy. There's a mm. lot of gray, like you were saying before. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's really what has someone like me hooked. Uh, I'll just speak for myself <laughs> instead of all on behalf of all true crime fans. You know, <laughs> when you get those nuggets of, oh, my gosh, like, what would I do if I was in that situation? How can I say for certain that I wouldn't start growing math out of a van because you know, to, <laughs> I don't know, like, I, I don't know that I wouldn't do that because I'm not faced with that situation. So by mm. kind of drawing out that empathy and saying, see, you're maybe not that different. You're kind of like sucked into proving that you are. I've got to find those nuggets in this story that prove that no matter what, I always do the right thing. You can't say that for certain. And if you haven't been in that situation, I'd like to say with pretty much 100% certainty <laughs> that I wouldn't like violently murder someone. Mm. You'd, have, you'd never know. Yeah, I've not been presented <laughs> with the opportunity yet. <laughs> yeah, and you're certainly not, you know, planning anything. So if anyone's worried. No. <laughs> no. I feel like we're, we're looking at a lot of the different sides of the negative side of humanity a lot in this conversation. But just to reiterate, like we think crime is bad and killing people yes. is a bad thing. I think it's really interesting what you mentioned before because, you know, that there was this thing that I was reading about today called affecting forecasting errors, which <laughs> sounds like it's something to do with numbers, but it's about our human bias to not accurately project our emotions and how we're going to respond emotionally to things. Like apparently we really overstate how intensely we're going to feel about something and for how long we're going to feel it we're consistently very bad at thinking about how we will emotionally react to something. So I think it's really interesting also just in the context of like feeling like we're doubting ourselves and how we might react to a situation or how even, you know, a consumer might react to a situation because we are so unpredictable. That's really interesting. I think that it's definitely true for me. I have a joke amongst friends to, you know, don't bleed before you're shot which is what we tend to do, right? Mm. We kind of anticipate and project. And, you know, we've all had arguments in our heads with people that aren't there in preparation mm. for the argument you're going to have, you know, and it's never as bad as we think it's going to be. Mm. And on the flip side of that, I'm not sitting around projecting about how wonderful something is going to be, you know, like mm. I'm not sitting around like having those anxieties about, something turning out my way. We always kind of think the worst. Mm -hmm. Maybe this is linked a bit to mental health <laughs> mm -hmm. as well. You know, as someone who suffers from anxiety, maybe I'm giving myself more anxiety by watching some stories like this and I need to balance it out with some uh, kids movies or something, which <laughs> I do. I do have the opportunity to do that. But I think that that does play into it. There are people who are 
maybe a little bit better about living in the moment and kind of staying where their feet are and others of us who are just worried about about anything. I mean, I could worry about anything <laughs> if you give me a little bit of uh, info on it. I'm like, oh, there's something I didn't know I needed to worry about. And it and- kind of gives you some, you know, something to do. <laughs> Well, it's interesting too that probably facts don't really offset that, the emotions that you're feeling around that and the anxiety. Like, you know, when people talk about plane crashes, like irrational, but the anxiety has already been built. I think there's another interesting aspect to this though, because your anxiety is a form of survival and it's a tool that you use. And this is one thing that a lot of psychoanalysis has been done on our fascination with true crime. And one of the key drivers that they say is protection for yourself. But the more that you know, the more that you can discover what happened, where did it happen, why did it happen, you can protect yourself. It's like you're arming yourself with the knowledge of all of these different potential threats in the world. So while it sometimes feels like it's probably fueling your anxiety or maybe you're like, am I making it worse for myself? It's Mm. probably also doing quite the opposite and making you feel more prepared for those situations. I think that's so true. I think that's often a question I've gotten. Like, if it makes you upset or nervous, like, why do you watch it? I'm like, I can't explain it. (laughs) You just need to, you need to know all the information. But yeah, it it makes a lot of sense that, you know, it kind of, it makes you feel like you could somehow prepare for being faced with a, with a situation. And, and I think that there's probably a couple of different camps of people that are doing this and are obsessing about true crime or watching it or reading about it. And the one that is really focused on the criminal that's doing whatever they're doing and that Mm. story. And the other one that's really kind of focused on the story of whoever or whether person or institution, whatever, is the victim. And maybe we all could be in either camp depending on the moment, but there's definitely times where I'm kind of wanting to know everything about a person who killed someone or whatever, or other times where I just want to know the one victim that got away. What was Mm -hmm. her experience? What was his experience, you know? Well, I think it's so true. We don't focus enough on the survivors or even the victims and the the families and how we deal with the repercussions of what happens with crime. But the survivor bit, I think, is especially fascinating. You know, talking about how you protect yourself in a future situation, like that for me is like the gold. How did she get away? (laughs) I I need to learn about this. So I was reading recently a book from Anne Rule about the I-5 killer. That was my latest serial killer investigation. It was actually, this is a little gruesome. He did go into a building and he shot these two girls and one of the girls survived. just found it fascinating hearing about that and then hearing about how she dealt with that incident afterwards Mm. emotionally. There was a couple of women who escaped from Ted Bundy, right? Mm. Like got out of the car somehow Mm. in a parking lot and, you know, that... When I read about the stories and you read about, oh, and this is when they committed this crime and they committed this crime and this happened, it almost happened and this person got away, that's often the moment that I'm like, (gasps) you know what I mean? Like, that's the part that really shocks me. And I'm like, oh, I need to know more about that. Like, that woman, I mean, I think this is, again, where the empathy piece comes in. You're just like, how do you live What do you do with your life after that? How do you go out into the world? 
We all have terrifying or tragic or you know, difficult experiences, and we do continue to go out into the world and live and see people. And you know, you kind of can't protect yourself from every scary scenario that's out there. Is you know part of that? Like, feel like you were saying, like the more I know about, <laughs> maybe the better <laughs> chance I have to get through. But I am always really almost heartbroken for people that survive these kind of. Mm incidents because there's something bittersweet about about that survival and all the pain that you experience as a result of what you've seen or what you've what you've been through. Do you find yourself naturally leaning into the crimes that have been solved? and that have a bad guy and have a resolution and have the survivors mm. and you know who the victims are because often we don't even see who the victims are or do you go for more of those like mystery unsolved cases? Mm. So I do love the story of the mystery and unsolved and the sort of process of how people are going about solving them. I don't like the ones that are still unsolved. Mm. That really is very heartbreaking for me. I read recently Dark, which is a book that was written by not a professional detective or anything. She was a true crime, a very passionate true crime writer. And she ultimately solved an unsolved serial mystery that was decades old. But, you know, her obsession in researching and getting all the detail ultimately Mm. killed her. But, you know, people that she was working with got her book published and they did in the end solve the crime just recently in the last couple of years. But um, her story and that book that she wrote and her obsession was really, really fascinating. Mm. But I like it to be tied in a neat bow at the end. (laughs) I don't like it when they're like, and well, that's it. If you know any more, call this number. (laughs) You know, it's hard for me to accept that things happen with no explanation. Mm, And no punishment, no repercussions Mm. for the people Mm -hmm. who do bad things. I'm the same. I don't like unsolved. Like I love the whole Zodiac killer case. I find it really Mm. fascinating. I love the movie. But I really hate it that I don't know who did it. Mm. And that, that really irks me. But I also then like, you know, sometimes when you're digging into a case and you're like, well, maybe DNA today will solve it. That's exciting. Like the Golden State Killer, Joseph D'Angelo, who was a junior who was caught in 2018 after committing murders in the 70s and the 80s. That is the story. <gasps> mm-hmm. No way. So you'll have to go and read <laughs> I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Oh my um, goodness. Because that was solved by a person <gasps> who had a true crime podcast and did some true crime writing. And, oh my goodness. Um, yeah. It, wow. It was, it's really fascinating. Mm. I, I think we're thinking of the same person who, um, he was like a former police officer, right? Retired police officer. I know that he was a Vietnam vet. Then I started digging into like, what is the impact of war on the people who either come back with that trauma or mm. who are raised by people with that trauma. That took me down a really, really interesting dark path. I bet. That's really fascinating and so so funny that we brought up the same example. Yes. So I'm curious then about 
<laughs> Tell me if this is too personal. I'm curious about your fascination with true crime. And, you know, just to be totally clear, true crime is a normal fascination and a normal interest. This has been proven and affirmed. It is normal to start to investigate these things yourself and to actually be really curious about them. But is it something that's kind of evolved, would you say, recently as you've delved into the the insights field and started to investigate human beings and sociology and things like that? Or is it something that you were growing up, you were sort of always curious about? You know, I've always had this sort of curiosity about this sort of thing. You know, I've had some experiences close to me in my life when I was younger that were adjacent to some of the true crime stories that you hear. And so I think that there is something uh, sort of sort of like a you are not alone, right? Mm. Um, piece of that. But I think it's almost like that just natural curiosity for understanding why people do what they do, whatever that is, is what has gotten me into a field where that is the focus. Mm. I think I'm actually one of the luckiest marketers to be in the insights industry because I have all these tools and expertise at my fingertips that marketers who are marketing for a product or a service, like they've got their internal insights teams that they're working closely with, but maybe don't have all of the resources at their fingertips like we marketers here do. But I think that's kind of what that's the part of the role and the career that I find really exciting is kind of digging into that stuff and and asking those same questions. How is this group of people the same as me? Mm. And how are they different? And can I start from a place of, this is my experience and this is my opinion. Let me see if the population at large feels the same as I do or differently or behaves the same or differently. And I think if there's something about relating to others and going, yes, I'm not the only one who, mm. you know, does something this way or thinks about something that way. I'm not the only one that, whatever it might be, eats my toast with butter on it and with cinnamon sugar and knows that's the best way, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I think there's something to not being alone in the world that mm. as we dig into people's behaviors and the why behind them, there's something really comforting. There's there's always a thread that that's connecting us even in the ways that we're different. Like you said, there's always someone who has lived through a similar situation to you. So taking comfort in that, that you're not alone, but also I really like how you were saying, you know, what tools from your armchair detective toolkit you can take into your job as an insights or, you know, as a marketer, or we spend so much time, I think at least our, you know, true crime fans do, you know, really thinking about the motivations, the why behind people act the way that they do. And that obsession with really deeply understanding human beings fed through to the business world. I think that we would be so much better off for it. Yes, I absolutely think that that is critical right now. And I think there's a movement of people outside of the insights industry talking more about understanding people. Mm -hmm. And that's just a great direction for businesses. There's so many brands out there that are talking about being people first and so many marketers out there that are talking about understanding 
the jobs to be done and what's keeping people up at night. And, you know, I think they've existed in the marketing world, in the business world for a while, but they've really lived and been owned by insights. And I know there's some fear around that democratization, but I think in the end, it's a good thing that we should embrace that people are more interested in people than ever before. And I think that's a trend that will continue. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So I think we actually navigated this conversation pretty well without getting into like really, really, really scary and sticky areas, which I'm really glad about. But I do have to end on this question, which is who your favorite serial killer is. Oh my gosh. So, you know, one of the things I find really fascinating about our fascination with true crime is that there is this sense that most serial killers are men. Mm. But I don't think that's actually true. I think that male serial killers tend to be more gruesome and more sensational in the, and violent. Um, and that tends to be more of a story. Mm-hmm. So there are some female serial killers that I find very <laughs> fascinating because they are so subtle. My favorite of which is a woman from Italy called Giulia Tofana. I don't know if you've ever heard this story, but she ultimately was poisoning men, her husband's multiple, maybe husbands, poisoning (laughs) them in their soup. And then she started selling aqua tofana. She was like basically marketing it as perfume so that the men wouldn't know what she was selling. She was selling this to women who also wanted to poison their husbands. I mean, fascinating. (laughs) Fascinating. And she doesn't get any airtime. No, she <laughs> should. She really should. So that's what I find really interesting. And and there's another one of those like, man, if you were in some kind of horrible situation, mm. you can't tell me you wouldn't do this. You wouldn't go and buy a bottle of aqua tofana from Julia. So <laughs> Well, it's yeah, maybe it's in the marketing textbooks since, instead since she figured out a way to like commercialize and oh, mass, yeah. mass distribute this product in need. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't laugh, but yes, that's a that's a really interesting one and I think you're right about the, you know, the female either sidekick or main culprit. So, I have a favorite one which is also like a little bit left to field, Harold Shipman. The classic doctor, they called him the angel of death in the UK, um, where he killed 250 of his patients. So he he did this in the 70s and the 90s, and he was apprehended in 1998, which also consistently fascinates me is when these people get away with it for decades Mm. and how Mm -hmm. uh, it gives me great reassurance that the crime system is catching up to itself. And we have these like connected FBI networks across states and countries sharing information. We have, you know, DNA evidence that can be leveraged on old cases. Like it's all moving in the in the right direction to to be able to catch the culprit faster. It's technology is really helping us get closer. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Yes. Well, Jen, this was an absolutely like fascinating and actually quite thought provoking, uh, but also very enjoyable conversation. Thank you for looking at things in a deeper way. I think that we need more people in the industry to do that, to do to look at the, you know, the the things that are at face value and the things that lie behind them. I think you're you're a rarity and you're an absolute pleasure. And I have one final question to end on in tune with the show, which is what your aside from true crime, maybe, what your go-to <laughs> is when you when you want to sort of push yourself to look outside. 
Well, first of all, thank you. That's very flattering. I'm, I'm really honored to be on your show and to know you. And I think the industry needs more of you as well. Mm-hmm. So I think I usually need to walk away. Like I need to physically go outside to look mm-hmm. outside. And sometimes I might listen to a podcast that helps me kind of change my reframe my thoughts. Sometimes it's, I need some music. Sometimes I need quiet, but I almost always need fresh air. And I recently was considering, like, this is a funny story. <laughs> I was considering buying one of those under the desk, like treadmills. <laughs> and I took a step back. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> you need to walk away from whatever you're focused on mm. to be able to get a different perspective. Like, Like, it's okay to not multitask and not do everything all at the same time. And all these, like, technologies that are out there making it more efficient for us to do this and do that or, you know, work out while we're working from home. It's like, no, no, you don't need that. Go outside, get some fresh air, look at the birds or whatever animals are out there and reset, especially when you're, you know, trying to get creative and think outside the box a little bit if you're feeling stuck and not coming up with those good ideas then Mm. sometimes a little fresh air will just do the trick absolutely yeah spend that time outside amazing thank you so much jen it was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show thank you joe so much fun If you enjoyed this episode with Jen, true crime fan or not, please follow and rate the show. Thank you for listening and keep looking outside.